We're talking about the future today on Belonging and Becoming, a conversation with Asbury University President Dr. Kevin Brown. You'll hear why Dr. Brown's vision of the future is actually reflected in a view of education expressed a hundred years ago. And E. Stanley Jones um, and Asbury, probably one of the most famous Asbury alums, uh, said this very thing, education is about what we love, not simply what we know. We'll look today at how Dr. Brown feels Asbury can continue to help students explore and discover what they love. By the way, before we get into today's episode, you'll want to stay tuned at the conclusion for excerpts from an interview Maria Brown and Esther Jothoff did this semester with student body president Demarion Johnson. He'll share why he thinks listening is so critical in our contentious society. But before that, we want to share part two of our interview with Dr. Brown, looking at the future of Christian higher education. On part one last time, Dr. Brown talked about the coming drop in the number of college-age students and why some are predicting the death of a liberal arts education. But hold on, says Dr. Brown, who argues passionately that a liberal arts education is actually more relevant than ever. That's next on Belonging and Becoming. Well, I know one of the things that you and all of us are thankful for is that the Collaborative Learning Center is now fully funded. Amen, yes. And uh, But funding is obviously, as you look at the future, one of the key issues that we have to continue looking at. Uh, so what's your thought in terms of Asbury if we look at the financial threats uh, that are facing Asbury and similar schools? What are we going to do in order to deal with the challenges financially that a small institution like Asbury typically has as we move ahead from here? Yeah, it's a great question. That's a big question. I think the good news is this. As a general economic principle, People will exchange dollars for value. You've heard me use that expression a few times. People will pay for value. Therefore, we need to make sure that what we're doing is always valuable. We have made some exciting pivots to deliver a 21st century education uh, that will make our students relevant to an unknown future. We're launching uh, what's being described as a future of work initiative uh, this is very exciting. It's a co-curricular um, uh, plan that allows students to experience some of these very interdisciplinary features in a classroom I mentioned, but also uh, mentorships and internships and service learning opportunities and self-aptitude um, inventories, as well as global uh, immersive travel. So. I'm very excited about that. We're launching an honors program. We've now associated credit hours with our travel. So it's not just traveling, but it's having an expert who can frame and mentor and think through that experience with our students. But I would argue that our liberal arts paradigm in general uh, is very relevant to this future and is very valuable in this moment. Something I'd like to share in 2016, thought leaders from around the world gathered at the World Economic Forum. And one of the questions was, uh, what are the skills necessary to survive and thrive in 2020 and beyond? And their list was fascinating. It was critical thinking, problem solving, judgment, decision making, collaboration, uh, articulate, clear communication, and a service mentality. Well. Again, those are the very things that are reinforced and taught 
uh, and inculcated within the student body within a liberal arts institution. So when I talk about value, I think value equates to rigorous, relevant 21st century education that uniquely equips our students with the requisite skills necessary to navigate the complexities of a dynamic, unpredictable global marketplace. But as I said before, when we describe value, it's not just intellectual, it is a formative experience for them as well. Um, there are lots of ways of talking about Asbury. When I, when I talk to parents and students, I just say Asbury is your story of belonging and becoming. Belonging to, to forge lifelong friendships. Uh, belonging to a mission, a vision for serving the world in beneficial, significant, God-honoring ways. Belonging so that you can participate in God's plan and design for your life. But also becoming. Uh, you're becoming a critical thinker. You're possessing a well-furnished mind, possessing virtue of thought, becoming a person of moral excellence, the best version of yourself. Uh, in Colossians, Paul talks about fullness in the person of Jesus Christ, becoming more like Christ, becoming whole and holy and complete, becoming virtuous, becoming courageous. Um, so these these are elements of what we seek to do here that's beyond just simply populating someone's uh, mind or brain with information and providing them with a credential. Um, but all the way back to what John Wesley Hughes said, uh, we want to educate the full person. And so while those methods by which we do that change, that mission has not changed. And as long as that mission is fulfilled, I think it's going to be relevant and I think it's going to be valuable. Can you share an example or two of an Asbury grad whose life reflects that idea of becoming more like Christ? Absolutely. Um, I think of a recent graduate, Alexandria George. I think of her because she was our first Dayton scholar in the School of Business and uh, really embraced everything that Asbury offered. And so she played a sport. Uh, she was very involved in student life. Uh, she was an RA at one point. She was highly involved in the School of Business when they had competitions. She would participate in that. Uh, she really threw herself into all the experiences that we had. She had a mentor. And so she came out of this experience uh, ready for uh, a rapidly changing world. Alex actually started a business uh, while she was at Asbury. So you can see that she has these very entrepreneurial sensibilities and she won money in a business competition for that as well. Uh, but equally so, she's an accountant. And so she has these analytical sensibilities as well. Um, but beyond those hard skills, uh, she has all of these soft skills or what are essential skills as well that, again, when I say in 2035 or 2040, it's going to be a very unknown, unpredictable world, certainly in 2020. Uh, I have no doubt that she will be successful in that world. I think of another student, Nesbert Vival. He would tell faculty, I came here for one reason, and that was to play tennis. Um, but the Lord absolutely captured his life and heart uh, during his time here. And there were persons who invested in his life. Uh, 
Nesbert would come into my office and he would spend so much time talking about how excited he was for this new vision uh, for what God had done in his life. And he's doing ministry right now in Selma, Alabama uh, with disadvantaged youth and is just absolutely on fire uh, for the, the, the sense of excitement of what it means to serve the world using the skills and passions that he has. And moreover, he's able to use tennis uh, as a way to connect with people, uh, to use sports. So those are two very different examples, but formative experiences of our students, not just their intellectual experiences, uh, to give them a vision of what it means to serve the world and how they participate in what God is doing within the world in ways that honor him, fulfill this idea of Matthew 5:16, letting your light so shine before others so that they may see our good work and glorify our Father, but also finding deep fulfillment within that. And if I can, uh, Doug, just take a moment on that. This is one of the exciting things, I think, about our Wesleyan theology, uh, that there, there's a eudaimonia dimension. And what that means, that's an Aristotelian term. Uh, Aristotle believed that uh, our, the purpose of our life was to realize the fullness of these virtues. Um, and when we do, we, we are blessed. It's our blessed life. It's our flourishing life. It's our happy life, you might say. Uh, I like that Albert Outler said, well, Wesley was a eudaimonist. It's not this idea that, well, I've got to follow these rules as a Christian and my life's going to be really terrible. But when I die someday and go to heaven, boy, it's going to be great then. No, not at all. Uh, Wesley is saying that living into the fullness of who God desires for you to be today is actually our blessed life. That is our best life. That is our time of significance and fulfillment and gratification. And I want our students to understand that. And I wish I could have gone back to my 20-year-old self in college and said the same thing. <laughs> well, I uh, appreciate, first of all, I learned uh, how to say that eudaimonia today. So thank you for that. Uh, but I also really enjoyed uh, those uh, two examples you gave of the students, the graduates now, because sometimes when we think of the future, I think we think of numbers and predictions, but it's really about people also. Yes. And so thank you for that reminder of that there. Um, Mark Twain uh, once said, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did. So what is Asbury not doing now that it might regret in 20 years? Hmm. It's a really good question. One of the things that I really appreciate about Asbury is our campus. And so when we look at some of the studies we've done in the past, one of the, the variables that's been statistically significant predicting whether or not a student would come is, did they come to our campus? Um, or you might also say, did the campus go to them? Uh, but there is something about our campus, and we see that in data, but we hear it in anecdotes as well. I do wonder sometimes about the capital-intensive nature of higher education. So it makes sense today because if you're a college or a university, uh, well, you, you just have to have a lot of dorms and classrooms and uh, a student center and, and some of these other things. Um, I have wondered, uh, as we move forward in time, will we look back and question the, uh, the capital-intensive nature of colleges and universities. And what I mean by that is all the buildings that we have. So to provide just uh, one example, when we look at churches around us, 
Uh, many churches use their facility for various reasons throughout the week, but many don't. And so it's not unusual to see a very large church that is sitting empty for 83% of the work week. Um, and now, of course, they're very busy on a Sunday. And so could there have been more strategic collaboration uh, for space, spatial usage uh, between an institution like Asbury and churches? Um, that is something that I, I've given some thought to and uh, attention. There's a John Stuart Mill term where he talks about the despotism of custom. And I've always found that really fascinating. Uh, what are those customs? What are those traditions, um, those grooves that I find myself in that are worn so deeply that you can't help but fall into them, that are despotic? <laughs> They're tyrannical in our lives uh, because we're so used to them. And so I, I think when we want to re-envision elements of higher education, uh, we have to step outside some of those customs. And sometimes we can make certain things sacrosanct. And so one way to, to look at that, that we, we might in 20 years to your question um, uh, think about differently, is, is it a class or is it the student learning outcomes from that class that are important? And if it's about the student learning outcomes, which we would all say, well, it is, uh, is there a way to achieve that outside the classroom? Um, and then I think one other thing I, I would mention, when we talk about education and when we talk about educating the whole person, so for example, in the School of Business, uh, they, they have a really fantastic class uh, taught by Dr. Dan Lewis on just personal finance. And they use curriculum from Howard Dayton, uh, the school's namesake. And it is not uncommon uh, at all to hear students all the time saying, oh my goodness, uh, that, that was such a helpful class or that was so pivotal uh, as I entered into a marriage a year or two later or to begin to start a budget or how to think about that. And so there are some practicalities. And I do wonder, what is the responsibility of an institution like ours or college in general? Uh, not simply for these classes where there's rigorous liberal arts thinking, I think that's incredibly important, but also some of these life skills that are very necessary to help students transition into the world. Um, and so to provide another example, I think of just something like rest and wholeness. Uh, practicing uh, contemplative stillness and are do we have the structures built in that not only help students to study and to have worship experiences and do all these other things that are so fantastic on our campus uh, but to slow their lives down um, and to create rhythms uh, that reinforce wholeness and stillness, contemplation, reflection, introspection in their life. So I guess what I'm talking about are some of these co-curricular elements that uh, would not have the same intellectual robustness as, say, a high-level statistics class or a history course or one of your uh, fantastic courses, Doug, but uh, are very necessary uh, to reinforce those, those judgments or those practices um, about living well. 
Well, sadly, it uh, looks like our time uh, it has disappeared, but I don't want to close without at least giving you one last opportunity. Is there anything else that we've missed as we're thinking about the future of Christian higher education and in Asbury or at Asbury in particular that you'd like to close with? Well, I, I appreciate that, Doug. There are two things I think I'd want to say, and they're both very different. The first is I do want to recognize the necessity to create financial pathways for students to come in the future. Uh, we have scholarship programs that have been developed for so many of our students. Uh, this brings in a broad array of students and continuing to do that so that we can be uh, financially viable um, and less onerous on students as, as they come into our institution. I think the value is worth it. And I'll say that 100 times out of 100. But I think that needs to be an organization, organizational and institutional vision. Uh, I hope for that to be a very specific part of our, our future fundraising efforts. We've just come off this incredibly successful Ignited campaign. Uh, we raised over $32 million in scholarships. The campaign itself um, produced north of $83 million. And then thinking through what are some creative ways to provide downward pressure on costs um, through innovative technology, different delivery methods, as well as alternative revenue streams and whatnot. So I'm excited to think about that in the future. And I think that will be very important as we, we look at ourselves in the future. The second thing I want to say that's very different, uh, you have heard me talk a lot about virtue. And so if I can ever get a word in with students uh, I want them to understand this this notion. And so we have the cardinal virtues um, of courage and temperance and justice and prudence. Uh, we have the theological virtues that Aquinas talked about, faith, hope, and love. But Augustine uh, has my favorite definition, and that is ordered love. In his book, City of God, he said, it is the brief but true definition of virtue to say that it is the order of love. Desiring what I should desire, loving what I should love, pursuing that which is worthy of my pursuit. And this has been a classical understanding of education for many. Uh, Aristotle in Nicomachean Ethics talks about this, that uh, education should be about our affections and ordering our affections. Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it, making the pupil want what they ought uh, G.K. Chesterton talks about the, the uh, purpose of education to give us eternal standards by which to judge material and fugitive conditions. And E. Stanley Jones, um, an Asbury, probably one of the most famous Asbury alums, uh, said this very thing, education is about what we love, not simply what we know. And so all that to say, I want students to leave our institution with a robust intellect prepared to go into the marketplace of commerce and the marketplace of ideas. Um, but at the heart of what we offer is we're educating, uh, to put it as some one author puts it, we're educating the sentiments. <laughs> um, we're educating them about what they love. Not simply what they love, but where do they ascribe worth? What is ultimate? And what do they give their lives towards? We all aim and orient our lives toward something. What is that? Uh, and here at Asbury, we, we begin with an epistemic claim about reality, that we inhabit a created order, 
created by a deliberate creator. And so uh, there is an aim, there is a direction uh, that we seek, and we want our students to participate in that. So it's about what they know, but education is about what we love. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, our time is up. Uh, you did mention near the end uh, the idea of virtue, which I know you've thought and written about, which reminds me that as we move on in the future with future episodes that we uh, hope to be able to look at other issues like that. Great. So thank you again, Dr. Brown, for being with us uh, today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. We hope that picture of the future has encouraged you as Asbury University continues to look for ways to help students explore and discover what they love. But before we sign off, here's a look at another Asbury show that might interest you. In September, Asbury student body president Damarian Johnson talked with Intercultural Affairs Coordinator Maria Brown and Associate Vice President for Intercultural Affairs Reverend Esther Jadov on the Embrace Radio Hour. That show here on Asbury's campus uses interviews to tell the stories of Asbury's intercultural students. In that interview, Damarion shared how growing up as a black American in predominantly white Maysville, Kentucky, taught him a lot about navigating cultural differences. And what he said provides hope that we, too, can learn to listen across many of the divides that face our country. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that listening looks like for you, but also help our students who are in the majority culture? What does that look like to listen? Yeah. Um, <laughs> because of the person that I am, <laughs> I would first say listening just means stop talking. Just, just sit there and say stop again, talking. <laughs> listening means what? <laughs> <laughs> like that is if you are if you are talking you're not listening that, right. and that's and that's that and that's what I would say um, but I think Stop in my, <laughs> <laughs> I think in my experience um, listening to other people's stories I have to be able to listen without the intent to find fallacies in mm. their story if someone shares an experience of not being like hey you know I've had experience in this area I truly don't think that I don't think that's true or if someone's like oh this is the way that person treated me and they're like no no we go to church <laughs> together I know who this person is that's not true your experience is not the same as someone else's experience so you can't tell someone is tell someone that their experience is wrong I think that's the first step in listening and as we listen to other people be humble be humble to know you don't know everything. And I think when you are humble, you, you need to know when to stop talking. Um, you just have to sit there. And if and in this work of racial reconciliation, in this kingdom work, this kingdom building, I, I look back to Jesus. I was talking to Esther the other day. I look back to Jesus and I'm like, when Jesus was ministering to people, when he was reaching out to people, he was not going up to them and be like, this is the way that you should do it. He was doing that to people that were like, if they were claiming who he was, but they were living mm. a, a different way. Like he was up in their face about that. But if it was someone that they, that, that he wanted to help grow their behavior, change their behavior, grow who they are as a person, he got to know them. Mm. And he didn't come with like any preconceived notions of the person. And that's when you look at the disciples and they're like, why are you talking to this woman? Why are you talking to this man? And he's mm -hmm. like, what do you mean? And we don't need to have these assumptions when we come to people's, like when we come into the conversation or assume that you know better than that person mm -hmm. based on your cultural identity.
Later in their interview, host Maria Brown and student body president Damarian Johnson emphasized again the importance of truly listening. What does it mean for us to listen as a Christian community? And even more specifically, a Christian community that is predominantly white. Yeah, the way that I look at listening, this is the last thing I want to share in this um, episode, (laughs) is that think about when you're in like a office setting or you are with people that are working on a project and someone is stressed out and you're like, okay, what can I do to help you? And you let that person tell you what they need. I think that's mm-hmm. the, the way that you need to listen. Mm-hmm. You look at the person in distress and say, what can I do mm-hmm. to help you? You're putting yourself second and that person first. Mm-hmm. And that is the way that you should go about it. Someone in distress working on a project that needs to meet a deadline, and you are now trying to help them mm-hmm. meet that deadline. To hear more of that interview, go to the asbury.edu website and type Embrace Radio Hour in the search window. There are more than 20 interviews with Asbury students that are available for you to listen to. And that wraps up today's episode. Next time on Belonging and Becoming, we'll have a special Christmas show in which Dr. Brown and his family, as well as some Asbury grads, share some fun and meaningful Christmas traditions. And we'll have another surprise for you as well, next time on Belonging and Becoming.